that. For those of you who are new to Christ Community Church, we do occasionally some different things in a service, reading services, reflection services, and generally once a year we do something called an elder panel. And the reason that's important is in, in, the, in the Bible, like Titus chapter 1 verse 5, Paul tells Titus, I left you behind in Crete to put in order what remains and to appoint elders in every town. All through the New Testament, the model is there are a plurality of men, elders, who lead individual churches. We see that all through the scriptures. And so that's how we are led here at this church. We are an elder-led congregation. Now, the challenge with that is, and, and a lot of churches have elders, but I find most people have no idea who their church elders are, right? It's just, it's just they don't know. So it's good that every, at least once a year, we say, okay, these are the elders, but, but not just to have elders here so you can see their faces, although that's important, but to talk about what it is that elders do. And I'm trying to go off my notes. I just came up with my, I put my notes this morning. I don't know what I did with them. Is my, is my notebook anywhere? Okay. All right. So uh, I'm trying to think through. So we want you to know who the elders are, but just as important in a church, and this is a metaphor I've used many times, in a church family like ours, the elders are kind of like mom and dad, right? And, and, and what I mean by that is if mom and dad are doing good, if mom and dad love each other, if mom and dad are just getting along, if mom and dad enjoy being together, the family's going to be good, Right? It doesn't matter what is going on, if mom and dad are together, the family's going to flourish. Likewise, if mom and dad just are not connecting, if mom and dad are not seeing eye to eye, if mom and dad are not together, it doesn't matter what's going on, the family's going to flounder. And so I, I wanted you guys to see mom and dad kind of interacting. Uh, that, that's a really important thing. Uh, and then finally, we want to share with you a little bit from our hearts, kind of where the Lord has brought us and where the Lord in his kindness may take us. So that's why we call this the kindness and goodness of God, because even in the midst of all kinds of things, God is always showing his goodness and kindness to us and, and to have the elders here. Um, last point, and, and, and we'll just roll with it, is it's important to know that as we are a, a, an elder-led church, that is important because churches are not like a flattened level democracy where every member gets a vote, right? Neither or is a church a hierarchical structure where there's a dictator on the top and everyone just kind of follows what that person says, but a plurality of men. And it's not just the staff guys. Here's a little tip. You will never hear me call the, the staff of this church pastors. Now, you might hear me say that mistakenly, but I don't call them pastors, right? It's okay to call them pastors. Many of you guys call us pastors. Uh, that's fine. But you never hear me calling us pastors as a general rule, I always call us staff elders. There's a reason I do that. Because did you know in the Bible, the word pastor in reference to a church leader appears? Let's, you guys are smart. How many times do you think the word pastor in reference to a church leader appears? Were you guys here a couple weeks ago when I asked the question, you guys like blew away my whole introduction because you knew the answer? Right, so, so let's see if it happens again. How many times does the word pastor appear referring to a church leader? Anyone want to take a guess? <laughs> you guys are, no, no, close, one time, one time, yeah, and got it. Do you know how many times the Bible uses the term elder or overseer in connection to church leaders? 24 times. I should say the New Testament. 
So I always thought it was odd that the title that's used the least, we use the most, and the title that's used the most, we use the least. So when I became the senior pastor, I said, I want to change that dynamic and just call them staff elders. Because functionally speaking, by the way, the only difference between a staff elder and a staff elder is somebody who is privileged to do this as their vocation. So that's me, that's Jordan, that's Jesus, that's Adam, and on this board, that's Tim. And Tim is only like part-time with us. The only difference, what's that? You're a, he's a, yeah, he's a half elder. Um, he's a hybrid elder. The only difference, biblically speaking, between me and this whole panel of men who, they're all different, engineers, financers, uh, software programmers, teachers, the only difference is that I'm paid, I'm freed up to do this. But in terms of responsibility and authority in the church, we're all equal. Now, practically speaking, it, there's a difference because while they can give maybe 10, 15 hours of their lives to the work of the church, which sometimes more, it's more like 20 or 30 hours a week of their life, I do it full time. But functionally speaking, we are all the same, right? And so I want us to have this time um, to just kind of, I know, stop talking and let you guys do it. Okay, so that's the introduction. I got the look. And here we go. Talk about the kindness and goodness of God and where we have come from, where we're going to go. If you guys don't jump in, you know, I'm going to start keep talking. Well, so. Why don't you talk about one of the points that you wanted to mention? Okay, okay. So, so Scott says, talk about one of the points I wanted to mention. Key off of that. Okay, so one of my desires is, in, in terms of where we're going, and you see this in some of the decisions we've made, and even some of the staffing decisions we've made, is this year, actually we started last year, but you all know kind of last year a lot of our plans change. We wanted to put a bigger emphasis on kind of a, a culture of care and counseling at this church. Uh, a, a, a culture of that, not necessarily programs dedicated to that, although we are putting some of those into play, but a culture of care and counseling. And one strategic thing to do to, to get us there is we brought on our staff, Jesus, who was going to be our, our, who is our staff elder of administration and counseling, and really start putting into the life of our church kind of this DNA of we're, we're constantly counseling one another. Paul says in Romans 15, you are able and competent to counsel one another. Most of what we deal with as pastors or as elders when we're, we're working with our flock are situations that, that by the time they get to us usually have kind of gotten a lot more complicated. But we often think if they had gotten counsel, and we don't mean professional counseling, just from a godly brother or sister in their life who knew them, so much earlier how much help they could have got. But because we live in a culture that we don't really get counsel from one another, unless it's a professional counsel of some sort, or it's very limited, we often struggle with our situations alone. And we felt at a church, we want to create a culture where, where you're constantly getting counsel, that you're constantly seeking wisdom from one another, and you are equipped to give that counsel and that kind of care to people. And so that, that's just a broad thing, but, and you can see that reflected, by the way, if you've ever looked at our book spot, there's a lot of theological works there, because we love theology, I'm really into that, but you'll also notice there's a lot of just practical books. My favorite book right now, there's only one copy, but my favorite book on there is called 31 Ways to One Another. Now, it's an interesting title, and that's because there are 31 expressions of one another in the New Testament honor one another, love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, rebuke one another, right? So what this author does is he unpacks what that actually functionally means in the life of a local church and how you can apply that one another in a context like this. 
So there's a lot of, uh, there's examples of trying to create this culture of care and counseling at Christ Community Church. And uh, while, we, while we didn't see that formally happen the way we thought it was going to happen, I mean, is the mic on? Is the mic on? Here, here, trade. Oh, I think they can't trade, can they? Six. They told me not to. Don't trade. Check. Check, check. That one works. All right. Yeah, so what I was saying is, is even though that didn't formally happen with counseling, um, I was impressed, well, first of all, with COVID, um, it definitely exposed, um, it definitely exposed the pressure, the, the isolation, I think definitely exposed uh, sins in people's lives. And so as pastors, as elders, um, we, we saw this happen right before us, and we, and we had to jump in and counsel, and we're, I'm so grateful that, that Jesus was here, but also other people in our church jumping in to counsel, to love, to minister to one another, our community group leaders jumping in as well. Um, so so <laughs> even though we were kind of, you know, maybe on the outside, you saw a lot of us dealing with COVID and regulations and, and how are we going to do the church, on the inside, there was a lot of counseling that was having to happen, and it was happening, but also seeing the need for developing more people to, to be able to minister, more people to be able to counsel. But I was, I was um, incredibly grateful for, for those who have started that process and could jump in and could help out, and, and that includes many of our community group leaders jumping in, uh, other people in the church, and then us as pastors and elders. Yeah. Yeah, so one, one extension of that is because we, we want a culture of that. We have the class that's coming up starting this month, I think starting up in a week or so, uh, Jesus's call, it's care and discipleship class. That class is designed not to make you counselors, but to start making you see the, the rich practicality of how, what Scripture has, right? Because Scripture is very rich in practical application, but most of what we've been trained as Christians is to think of Scripture as information, not application. So the first thing you typically talk about is, is, you know, what does this mean? We try to get behind the historical context and all that, and that's fine and good and important, but unless you go to the phase of, now how does this transform my life, right? How do I bear one another's burdens? What does that look like? And so fulfill the law of Christ we're not actually doing the work of Scripture. And so we're trying to be much more deliberate about not just information, but application and transformation. So that's what the class is in January is all about. So I encourage all of you, if you can take it, you will benefit, even if you're feeling like, well, I don't want to get into a counseling ministry, I'm not a counselor. Every one of us here needs to know, how do I start applying biblical Scripture to the situations I'm dealing with daily? So that's real important. Yeah, and I think the, the culture of our church is very quick to, to be concerned with, that, with doc, good doctrine, good theology, uh, quick to kind of, you know, um, uh, to look at that, to, to address that. To, you know, but, but then, uh, yeah, as far as application uh, in our own lives and then even into brothers' and sisters' lives. I mean, a lot of the discussions I have are, are well, I think that would be a great idea for you to go and talk and have this super awkward conversation with one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, that's terrifying, I think, for, for a lot of us. And so again, the more that we do it, the more that we'll become more comfortable with it, but getting some grounding in Scripture and then just thinking that way, I think, will help and benefit the church at large. Yeah. Yeah. 
A few things that have, it's been a crazy year. Uh, I remember sitting here in March, we did a Zoom, no, I don't know what we did. Uh, we were up here doing some live stream something, and you know, we were very naively thinking, hey, three weeks from now, oh, we'll right. be back. Yes. So this is a bizarre, very bizarre year. Yeah. I think um, a few thoughts I, I have just about the year and just, um, uh, there's been other hardships in our church, in our life of our church over years of time. And I remember serving as an elder with other men during some of the hard times when you take a few bullets with the guys next to you. And you have a, you, at that point, you have a bond with them. Like you've, you've gone through something. And I have, en- I have enjoyed working with these men. We've just had meeting after meeting uh, you know, strange meeting after strange meeting. And, but, um, like, here we are. Right? The church is together. We're worshiping the Lord, so we're really blessed. <clears throat> um, another thing, I, 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 I got driven to Scripture, you know, uh, uh, in, a, in a new way. Um, right when the, the, the um, lockdown happened, you know, the, I, was showing, I was showing a friend a couple days ago a picture of the empty bread aisle at Ralph's, and just kind of these freakish things that you... Um, uh, you know, a picture from March. I remember at that time, you know, not going anywhere. I would go take long walks in the morning. I was still working, but working from home, from my bedroom. And uh, I was reading Isaiah and reading Psalms. And I've read through both Isaiah and Psalms multiple times in these last nine months. And Isaiah took on a new kind of vividness to me because, like, what Isaiah was seeing was about to happen was, like, happening right in front of me. Because God has the power to just uproot nations, and he does it in an instant. He can do it for his own purposes, and it's just, everyone just stands in awe of it. Like, so I was going, I was, uh, Isaiah 33, here's just a few verses. Behold, their heroes cry in the streets, the envoys of peace weep bitterly, the highways lie waste, the traveler ceases, covenants are broken, cities are despised, there is no regard for man, the land mourns and languishes. Wow, so I, I've seen it. Um, and it could be way, way worse. Um, it's actually not that bad this year. But, you know, like, I, I can actually see it. And then you, you keep reading, like, in the beginning part of the chapter, God brings judgment by just letting our own sin, our own, our own ways, uh, just giving us over to our, our, what's going on in our, our sinful hearts. So it says, Ah, you destroyer, who yourself have not been destroyed, you traitor whom none has betrayed. When you have ceased to destroy, you will be destroyed. When you have finished betraying, they will betray you. So whatever's going on in our politics, um, our, uh, our um, social media, whatever that, I, social media is just a very, buzz, I think social media is largely to blame for what has gotten us into this, but um, like we won't see this until years later. Then we'll look back on it and say, wow, that was something. So, um, but it's like God giving us over to these things. And yet, as his people, we have this timeless word of God. This is, this is what, 2,700 years old, what I'm reading right here? And it gives us perspective. So here's another verse in the same chapter. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. So to fear, to fear God... And you can just stare at any danger coming at you. And if you fear the Lord, the danger shrinks. Mm. And uh, it's been, we've learned that this year. Yeah, the Psalms have been rich 
for many of us in a, a new tradition I started at the Roadieber House. It's in air quotes because I've only done it once, so it's not quite a tradition yet. Um, but I got this from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the German pastor theologian who was uh, um, executed by the Third Reich for his stand against Hitler. A young guy, he was 39 when he was executed. Uh, when I read his biography, he said every New Year's Eve, his family, as far as he can remember, would read Psalm 90. And so I thought, well, if that's good enough for Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Hopper, it's good enough for the Road Hebrews. So we read it, and I love it because let me just read you a couple of the verses because it, it, I think it certainly has application to 2020, but just it has application to 2020 because it has just good application. The psalmist writes, by the way, this is a prayer of Moses, right? Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So it establishes the, what, what David was just talking about. And then verse 3, it's the reminder. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past or a watch in the night. So, so I'm going to skip down to verse 12 in a bit, but it's just what, it, what it's establishing is that God is permanent and forever and everything of our reality that we think is so real and we cling on to and we rejoice over or are fearful of, it says it's, it's, like a, it's like a memory. It just, it's gone. It's effervescent. And so he concludes it by this, verse 12. And so in light of all this, so teach us to number our days. Why? Why does he say this? So that we get a heart of wisdom. Why is it important to see the permanence of God and the impermanence of our world? So that we learn to number our days. Why do we learn to number our days? So we have wisdom. And it just concludes us this beautiful return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So the Psalms have been certainly for me really helpful in orienting through this year as just as well as in just in general so i think uh i'll just talk about wisdom there rick and, and as i look through through this year the goodness and kindness of god there are two thoughts that that come to mind for me they're very vivid and one is god's sovereign power to provide uh for his people we're gonna have trials that is a promise of of scripture and and i and i they're they're and then in addition to that, then, you know, God's sovereign power to provide. And then what is it God asks us to not ask us? What is it God tells us to do when we are faced with a trial? And, and I've seen this group of men here do that this year. I'll get to that part second. Um, and, and, but the first part, God's sovereign power to provide. And, and Daniel chapter 3. And, and I thought of Daniel chapter 3 because while I was working out uh, I, this Hillsong song uh, called Another in the Fire. And, and it says, there's another in the fire standing next to me. And I thought, wow. And, and, and in, that, in, that, in the lyrics to that song, there's a, there was another in the fire standing next to me. And then towards the end, it goes, there is another standing in the fire, and it points us to the cross. And the, and the past tense, and it made me think, well, gosh, obviously they're referencing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, when faced with the trial of you either worship this thing that Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the most powerful man in the world, had created, you worship this image, 
or I'm going to put you in this fire. All right, I don't like fire. All right, fire scares me. Uh, shoot me, do whatever, I don't want to go in the fire. And so, anyway, but, the, but they, their answer to him was, our God who is able to deliver us, right? Didn't say, okay, well, we know that God's, you know, we know for sure you're going to throw us in the fire, but God's going to douse it out. And everything's gonna be. They didn't know that. They didn't say that. Our God who is able to deliver us, okay? And then they didn't plan on there being another person in the fire. That wasn't there. They're like, oh, we know Jesus is going to be in the fire. It's going to be great. They didn't know that. All right. Their confidence was in God who is able to deliver us. We don't know how God's deliverance is going to come. Okay. It may be in our death and we, and we are with him for eternity. All right. That, that may be part of his graciousness. But, but so I, I looked at God's sovereign power to provide and I, and I look at our men's conference that happened this year. At my table, there were three distinct supernatural orchestrations of God in the lives of people. That's just at one sorry little table on one side of the room. Men who showed up who weren't supposed to show up, who, men who didn't show up, who were supposed to, but the guy that showed up is actually the guy that God wanted to be there so he could then minister to the guy that didn't show up because they happen to both speak Spanish, and my Spanish is not very good, all right? Or the guy that shows up, and the one thing he's not going to talk about, he's coming, but it's the one thing that God just pressed upon him so hard that he had to talk about, all right? And as a result, a marriage has been restored, all right? And you see God is already in this fire with us, all right? And, and at the risk of being long-winded, uh, in, James, in James chapter 1, then it brings us now to, if that is the God that we serve, now what does God tell us to do in the face of a trial? And in James chapter 1, it says to pray to God to seek wisdom. Okay? And it also says in James chapter 1 to, to let uh, the, the trial create steadfastness in us. All right? When we get into trials, our first inclination is often let's get this done with as quickly as possible right but if we do that we may be missing the opportunity to let God create steadfastness in us to have more confidence in him through the course of that trial and so it's a beautiful thing if you if you read go home today and read Daniel chapter 3 and then go read James chapter 1 and, uh, and it's a beautiful picture of, of God's work in trial uh, in both situations. I've seen that these men seek wisdom and, and not rush through this trial that we've been in this year as well. I think that's a good uh, point. I appreciate that, Clay. Um, I found myself throughout this whole year. Oh, say your names. It occurs oh. to me some people may not know all of you guys. So that's Mel and that's Clay. I'm Clay. Yeah. Clay, Mel, Co. Um, so I felt like, uh, you know, throughout this year, I felt strong, I felt encouraged, I felt like um, a lot of this trial was almost more impacting my life as an inconvenience. Uh, more difficult to do my job at school, at work, um, more difficult for us to meet, for our church to meet, um, giving up on opportunities to meet with family. And um, it wasn't until COVID entered my home and uh, my son tested positive, my wife got real sick, that I started realizing that my strength was a lot in my own 
um, my own strength rather than in my faith. And uh, so I got pretty shaken at that point and realized that, you know, I've got to be strong for my family. I've got to really make sure I'm, in, I'm feeding into their lives. And as an elder, I'm going, you know, why, why am I struggling so much? Um, but I needed to get that encouragement, and I found, uh, you know, trust in the Lord and not in your own understanding is something I think a lot of us were doing. We're trying to understand this thing. We were trying to get a grasp on it and uh, not trusting God. And so um, I realized I needed to turn. And, and again, the Psalms spoke to me, uh, Psalm 27, I would have despaired unless I'd believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let, his heart, let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And we're waiting. And we're waiting a whole lot more months than we thought we'd have to. And we're coming into a new year. And uh, like Rick said, we're going to be carrying on 2020 into 2021. But we need to not go, oh, good, 2020 is over. We need to thank God for that year. Thank God for everything God has done, all the healing that's happened. And, yes, people have suffered. And, yes, financial issues have happened. But then that just turns us to God to, uh, to reach out and say, hey, my finances are not stable, but I need to trust in you. And um, my health is in the hands of who knows who, and um, I need to have strength in the Lord. Yeah. Let me add just quickly to Mel what you said, and in James chapter 3, it, it talks about the meekness of wisdom. Yeah. You know, as you talked about, hey, I'm, and it's not my strength, right? And a lot of times it's easy for us to, to things are rolling along and, and we have the temptation of, hey, I got this, yeah. right? And in the meekness of godly wisdom. And so in, in chapter 3, in verse 17, it says, But the wisdom from above, so the wisdom of God, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And if, and if we, I just, as you talked about that, and you talked about it a little bit this morning too, I just, I just it made me think about, what does that look like? The wisdom of knowing, frankly, that we're not in control of this thing, that we have to rely on the power of God and the mercy of God. And what does that look like? And that uh, James 3.17 gives us a look at that. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, some of what's uh, happening you, you grab that right. is um, because of this uncertainty in the times, and this actually even came up as a question, I forget at what format, but I thought next year, or, or 2021, I think it would be good for us to study together the book of John's Revelation, you know, and um, partly because I've always actually thought of avoiding that book because if any of you know, if any of you Bible scholars know, Revelation is the only apocalyptic in the New Testament, which, which is generally the hardest genre to interpret. Um, but as I thought, let's jump into it. I also realized that's the only book of the New Testament that promises a blessing just for reading it, right? There, there's no book in the New Testament I'm trying to think if there's one in the Old Testament, that there's an actual promise of blessing for doing nothing but reading the book. So I thought, okay, let's do that. And I've been in it for about two or three months prepping, and we're going to start that in February. And I've been so encouraged at how it has helped me think about what we are going through culturally. And, 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 and in, a, in a very helpful way, even though I think the message may not be one of Boy, I know I'm doing a bad job doing this. Um, I'm just encouraged, especially I'm thinking of Rome, Revelation 4 and 5. I, I, it is the, the kind of the center point of the book uh, of Revelation. 
and reminded. So just as a, as a quick aside, you know, John is weeping because nobody can, there's a scroll that comes out and nobody can open the scroll. Nobody can break the seals. John's weeping. He's, he's seeing that nobody's worthy to do this. We're in a huge mess. What can be done? And what is reminded in, in chapter 5, Jesus Christ comes out. And it's, just, it's amazing, guys, because you see the lamb. It says, the lamb of God is worthy. And then John turns and sees a lion. And there's so much metaphor there that he's called the lion and the lamb. And it's this contrast of, of images to show his meekness and his strength. But all that to say is, he's worthy. He's, he's opening the seals. Now, if you know Revelation, and you're going to know it really well next year, each seal represents judgment, cataclysm, destruction, all kinds of craziness. And this is when it came to me. We often say, oh, God's allowing these things, right? And I was reading Revelation, I'm like, no, 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 God's not just allowing things. He's the reason it's happening. In other words, all that we look in on our world and we're like, oh, we just got to endure and get through that. And, and, there, and I'll explain this more when we get into the book. It's not just God passively allowing things, things to happen. He's opening the scroll. He's making these things happen so that his plan of bringing it all to an end comes to a culmination. Amen. And guys, what I'm excited about reading that book, and I hope you get excited too, is there can be this mindset that Jesus came at the cross, he did his job, now he's taking a coffee break because he's got to get at it at Revelation, and in the meantime, he's just waiting for things to unwind. No, Revelation says he did his job at the cross, and now everything that's been happening in the history of man He's making it happen because he's trying to bring it all to the point of culmination. And guys, that puts a radical different spin on everything. It doesn't change the horror of sin, the tragedy, the fallout, but it's a reminder that, oh my goodness. And this is why also the book of Esther, which we're going to start, start looking at next week, is another great book to study. Because in a world where God seems totally absent and the people of God seem like they're on the, on the defense all the time, God is actually making it all happen, and he's driving it. So Esther and Revelation are two of the books we're going to be studying next year. Actually, we're going to start this year, starting with Esther next week. It's going to be amazing, guys. I hope you guys, I'm just jazzed. It almost makes me realize, yeah, persecution's good. This is good for us. Things going sideways is good because that means God is making it happen. All right, somebody stop me. Well. I was trying to think, how do I follow up on that? that that's, uh, uh, okay, I know, I know I was talking, I was thinking about what Clay said, and then I'm like, okay, okay. Right up there it says, for the glory of God and the good of his people. And all these things that God will work out that he's kind of hinted at and teased us with in Revelations, he is causing for the good of his people and for his glory. And uh, one of the things, oh, what I, what I wanted to say was, God has been good through you, and Rick alluded to this as he was wrapping up the announcements. Because of your giving, there are a lot of, there are a lot of churches that are, are closing their doors or facing closing their doors, and their, their elders are struggling, like wondering what to do. Uh, because of your, God's goodness to us through you, and the staff has worked really hard, but the elders, this team, has been able to focus on the people and not have to worry about a lot of the administrative details and dive in and try and solve problems are, are the big things that God is working 
and bringing into our lives to work on are praying for the marriages of this, this body and, and those who regularly attend. This last year has been devastating on some relationships that were maybe fragile. This is, this is pushed them to breaking points. And in situations like that, um, we've had the opportunity not only to pray for them, but also uh, as God presents opportunities, inter- intervene in those, in those lives. Um, there are people who are hurting from loneliness, from uh, just personal tragedy, and this, your, God's goodness through you has freed us up to, to minister to them. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I, I, I think it, it's, as we look back, uh, COVID, this pandemic, has made us very myopic in terms of our focus. It is the culture through media, online, just personal conversations, has driven us to be almost monolithic in our thinking. What is the impact of this? And uh, the Bible is completely contrary to that, right? The one of, as a practical standpoint, because of this external pressure to monolithically think about how everything relates to COVID, I'm just crying out context. Like, there are three million people in the United States suffering from alcoholism. Are we going to go out and then ban alcohol drinking? No, no, because we, as a country, believe in personal freedom. I don't want to go off on a sidetrack there, but it, <laughs> it, it's to. kind of like it, it's so over over the top thinking about this. It's like, okay, why are we? By the way, when you guys came in and sang this morning, you are doing what. I think the world recognizes as one of the most dangerous things you can do. You rebels, you. But how can we stop singing and praising God? We cannot because there is something higher. There's something greater. Uh, so Paul, basically in uh, in First Thessalonians chapter five, in uh, Romans chapter twelve, he says, "Be constant in prayer, rejoice always." persist in, in trials and tribulations. And be, you know these things, how do, we, how do we do that? Well, he's saying right there, how do we pray all the time? We, we can't physically pray verbally all the time. We, otherwise, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation. How can I uh, pray and rejoice all the time? Well, right now, I'm, I'm having a serious conversation with you. What he's talking about there is having a context where God is our monolithic focus. Christ's presence with us, what he's done for us, the hope that we have in heaven, the, the gratefulness that we have for what he's done. Those are the things, like Clay was saying, that, that Christ is with us in the fire, not only in the fire, but in the good times. Like, I just had a granddaughter born last, last week on Thursday. I'm like, yeah, this is great. But at the same time, I'm, I'm mourning over uh, a relationship in our family that's just withering that's dying it, not in my in my larger family that's just crushed that's been destroyed and and weeping so but the, the, through all of that Christ is is with us and so while the world is struggling or putting pressure on us to focus on this one thing and next year it'll probably be something else and the year after that it'll be something else the bible is is drawing our eyes and our hearts to to Christ and God and what he's done for us. And that's where, you know, if you criticize us for the practical things that we're doing, just know that in our hearts, we're trying to encourage you and, and 
follow scripture in terms of building you up, getting, trying to get you to focus on there's something more important. Certainly revelations will do that. No, oh, yeah. Uh, no doubt about that. Yeah. Anyway, Amen. enough said on that. Mm. Which is why another reason, one of the things we're going to be doing in terms of our, our preaching diet is in the summer, you guys know in the summer we do kind of topicals because I just recognize everyone's kind of in and out, vacations and all that. Um, so this summer we're doing a 10-week study on marriage just because we have been dealing with a lot of, lots of marriage challenges. Uh, not all bad, some of them are good, and some, and some of them we're seeing great fruit, we're seeing repentance and faith, some of it we're seeing hardening of hearts and doubling down in their sin. And we just thought, hey, let, let's go, let's, we haven't done a series on marriage, so the, that's the other thing. So the two books we're studying is Esther Revelation, and then we're doing a series on marriage as a topic, and then just so you know, there's one doctrine that, that, that I think fuels and animates the Christian life, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do a series on the doctrine of the Spirit. I think it's about an eight-week series on the Spirit, because uh, I think a, a lot of people, when they think about the Holy Spirit, they're so, you know, they just think about pretty much, what do you think they think of? What? speaking in tongues, the gifts, right? And it's like, if I were the Holy Spirit, which obviously, I mean, I'd be like, really? Is, is that all you think I do? I mean, that's it. When He is through all of Scripture, and He's undergirding the church and animating the Christian life, and yet all we tend to talk about is like, are you going to prophesy or not? Are you speaking in tongues? Or, you know, I mean, I don't want to put that down, but He's so much more prominent in your life as a Christian and our life as Christians of a church. So those are the four things we're going to be thinking about together, Revelation, Esther, marriage, and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, because we did a series on the attributes of God. We did a series on the, the person of Jesus Christ, and, and since we're Christians, well, we can't leave out the Holy Spirit, so we're going to do a series on the Spirit Himself, so we're covering the Trinity as well. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I've been encouraged uh, by Isaiah as well. Um, as I was going through Isaiah 40, you know, it talks about just how incredibly different God is, how incredibly superior God is. Um, Isaiah 40, 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings uh, princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. And this was like incredibly... Um, encouraging to me that God is so beyond uh, what we can even wrap our heads around. Uh, and if, if we know that to be true, then, then His gospel is this, in the same way that much bigger, that much greater, that, that much more superior. It is His gospel. Um, Isaiah 40, um, 28 says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And so then it moves into because God is great, because God, and we, we, we're a church that, that cares about sovereignty, but sometimes I think that word can kind of lose its meaning. Um, but, but because of that, it goes on. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall uh, shall um, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. And so, my encouragement, this encouragement for me, and my encouragement for you guys too, is that, man, I just feel like I've been hunkered down. I just, I have. And and guess what? Um, God is not surprised by that. 
Uh, but again, but another occurrence is that, is that evil, <laughs> evil is not hunkered down. <laughs> uh, the sin in our lives, uh, this, the spirit of, of the age, uh, our flesh, um, Satan, is, is, is happy for us to be hunkered down. And so my encouragement going into 2021 is to, to hold on to the truths uh, that we are children of the King, that we're ambassadors for Christ. Um, the gospel hasn't changed, um, you know, and so my encouragement or, or the thing I, the truth that, that I need to stand on and, and speak to myself from scripture is that, yeah, I need to be doing the regular things. I, I've hunkered down, I've, I've caught my breath, um, and, and things could get worse. But, but guys, uh, we have to um, evangelize, we have to serve, and we have to love God and others, whatever that looks like. Um, and so I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of done hunkering down. And, and, I, and, I, and I, need, I need that encouragement because it's not easy for me to, to move forward out of it. I feel like I'm stuck in the mud uh, through this, and, and many of you guys are. And I encourage you to come, you know, let's pray together. Let's encourage each other to get out of that mud and do the things that we know to be true. Okay, we need to wrap this up. So I'm going to have to guys you the final thoughts, kind of lightning round. Then I'd like to conclude us by reading the end of Jude from this morning's prayer. And then I have uh, just an announcement, a change in our staff that you all need to be aware of. Uh, and then we're, our time is done. So did you? Uh, a brief final thought. I, I, I appreciate what you said, Tim, about being stuck in the mud. I mean, it, it, that's, a, that's a feeling I think we can all resonate with. Um, I, for myself, I think uh, some personal habits. I, you know, when I think of my grandparents, uh, they went through the Great Depression, it shaped them, and shaped them for good. And uh, I would like, I, this is only one year and hardly n nearly so difficult, but it would be good to have it uh, shape, shape me for good. And um, I know this past year I've read more, I've, and when I read, I read with some connection in mind. I was talking to a friend just yesterday, and he inspired me to read a presidential biography this year, and he and I are going to talk about it. Um, I've listened to music more. I think the mud, I think Netflix is the mud. Uh, and so, uh, I've, and social I've, media and the mud. <laughs> and I think, you know, when you watch a, I'm going long, but you know, when you watch like a 1960s, 70s TV show and you, you remember it as being cool and you watch it and it's just, it's just stupid. <laughs> there, there's nothing funny, there's nothing entertaining. Okay, that's what our TV is today, a few decades in the future. So just, you know, don't get stuck in that mud. And one last thing is, I've, I mentioned reading Isaiah. I've also read the Psalms. The Psalms will guide you in prayer. You wake up in the morning, you're feeling this, you're feeling that. You don't even know what you're feeling. Read a Psalm and say, Lord, I'm going to pray this Psalm. And uh, God, will, God will use it in your life. Okay, anybody else got one last thing they want to share? Yeah, a couple things. Um, as far as uh, recommendations for books, uh, Dan Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, is a expansion on the character of Christ. Excellent book. It kind of went in under the radar this year because of, uh, you know, just all the stuff, other stuff that was going on. Highly recommend it. I got it from Bob Burris. Uh, I think it was actually a copy he was handing out at one of the um, Lord's Supper services. Definitely, if, if you want to be reminded about how amazing Christ is, that is a book to read. It's a beautiful, um, uh, poetic book. Uh, the other thing, too, that I'm so excited about, we are getting really close to opening up uh, the second floor offices upstairs. Um, I, one, it's, it's, it's a beautiful representation of the giving, uh, some particularly large gifts that, that made that possible, um, your faithfulness, God's faithfulness to the church. But uh, just yesterday, as I was working up there, uh, was able to have like a, a 
one-on-one -on -one counseling session with uh, a friend who needed some help, who just came by, knew I was going to be there all day, and actually it wasn't yesterday, it was the day before yesterday. Um, but anyway, the, uh, just it made me think about how awesome that, that facility is going to be and how God's going to potentially use it to minister to this church and this community. Um, so I'm super excited about that particular aspect of God using this facility to accomplish his purpose. And he was here Christmas Day working on our offices. I was like, dude, get out of here. What are you doing? We, we celebrated <laughs> on a different day. It was all good. Okay. okay. Uh, just quickly, uh, two words, power and promise. Uh, the power of God and the promises of God. Uh, God is faithful to keep his promises. Uh, in his desire to keep his promises, he has the power to keep his promises. And uh, each year at Christmas with our fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, we will print the lineage, the genealogy of Christ from Matthew chapter 1, and we'll lay it out on the floor, and, and from Abraham to Christ himself. And when you, I encourage you to literally do that, because then you go step by step by step, and you think, oh, this, it could have fallen apart there, oh, but it didn't, Right? Oh, we got a, a prostitute. Why, why do we have that in here? Okay. And oh, we got a, a Moabite woman. And why is, why is a Moabite in here? And then Bathsheba. Oh, that's a weird sordid tale. Why is that in here? And, and you, you go through that and you see, especially as we're studying Revelation, uh, the power of God to do what he said he's going to do, the promises of God and just the goodness of God towards a wide range of people to be used as part of what he is accomplishing uh, in, this, in this world and beyond. So it's a beautiful thing to see. Okay. Um, back in March, April, when we were uh, needing to close our doors, um, a scripture came up uh, that uh, said, what is impossible for man is possible for God. And uh, we started doing the Zoom and starting um, really building up our community groups. And then when uh, we were in the thick of COVID, I reported to our community group, and within a half hour, I was getting texts of people wanting to bring us meals and everything. So I just want to put the plug in that if you're not in a community group, uh, talk to Tim or uh, one of us, and uh, we'd like to get you involved, um, because that is the heart of this church. Okay. Well, with that, uh, here's the change in our staff. Uh, after three years of phenomenal service, um, Hannah has her own children's ministry at home. So she has had to resign her position as our children's ministry director so she could be children's ministry director at her house. So there she is. And so you guys know what a blessing. Now, there, obviously, she's still part of our church and going to be here, but her, her position as children's ministry director will conclude next Sunday. This will be her last Sunday officially leading that area. And so we are encouraged. We have some good converse, we have some conversations about what to do moving forward that we're excited about, but we, we just need to make sure that we put all the dot all our I's, cross all our T's, and we'll let you know about that in a little bit. So that's, that's the staff change, but they're still going to be with us, and it's going to be great. And if you haven't seen their kids, they're just adorable. All right, let me close us out with this. This is a passage. These verses have been really uh, on my mind this year. They came from Jude, Jude's uh, last couple verses of Jude, but it's a very fitting way to close our time. It's a fitting way to think about this coming year. So may I commend this text to you to meditate on it and to go into this year not with trepidation, not with, with concerns or fears, 
but to go boldly into this year because God is making his plan happen, and he wants us to be a part of that. This is how Jude ends. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God. I mean, sorry, it's just dripping with application and commands for us, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So here's this command to you and I, and then Jude pivots to a command of personal ministry that we all need to be doing. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. And here concludes with this doxology, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.